Good morning. We'll try that again. Can you guys hear me now? Okay. Good. Okay. The story is told of a couple who had just gotten married. And they were learning the roles and responsibilities of of what they needed to do as a married couple. And they were trying to decide who was going to make the bed in the morning, who was going to take out the trash, what job each of them were going to have. And he said, sweetie, I really think that you should be the one to make the coffee in the morning. And she said, why? And he's like, because you're the one that's up first and you have to get to work first. I think you need to be the one to do it. And she said, no, honey, you know, baby, I really feel like you should be the one to make the coffee in the morning. And, and he, she said, you know, you're always trying to figure out ways to be a good servant leader to me. And I just really feel like this would really bless you and bless me. And he said, you know what, let's go to sleep and let's think about it. And then we'll wake up in the morning and decide. And she said, okay. The next morning, she does her quiet time, and it hits her. And she runs to her husband. She goes, baby, baby, I know exactly who should do the coffee in the morning. I was doing my quiet time, and God revealed it to me. And he said, you know, I don't think God works that way. He doesn't care who does the coffee in the morning. She goes, oh, no, he cares. Because as soon as I opened up my Bible, the first thing I read on the page, it said, he brews. <laughs> Get it? Hebrews. And, we, you know, we aren't studying the book of Hebrews. Don't worry. You're in the right study. We're studying Exodus. Um, but we are studying about the Hebrew people. And so, um, Okay. Uh, my name is Alicia Illion. Some of you know me. Some of you do not. I am on the women's um, ministry team here. And basically that means we get to help prepare and plan and most importantly pray for you guys, which is really exciting to me because one of my favorite things to do is study the word of God. And then most my most important ministry is my family, um, Jason, my husband. And then I have three little kids that are three, five, and seven, Rain, Sage, and Rogue. Rain's the oldest. And you may know Rogue. He's the one that's running around like a crazy man. And if you say hi to him, he's probably going to growl at you. And um, true story, he thinks he is half Hulk and half T-Rex right now. And so it is his love language. Don't worry. Um <laughs> So anyway, I I claim the recessive genes of that child, just so you know. (laughs) Anyway, okay, let's get started. Um, If you would, turn with me to your Bibles to Exodus 3 and 4. And this is a familiar story, but it's also a really important and amazing story that I cannot wait to walk through with you guys this morning. And so there's three themes that we're going to kind of talk through. Um, And the first one is God revealing. Okay, God's going to reveal himself to Moses as he deals with him and calls him out and commissions him to lead his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, and then the second thing we're going to see is how Moses reacts to the calling. And then thirdly, we're going we're gonna to talk about how we should respond to that. So we have three R's for you guys that are really organized. But we're really going to focus a lot on God revealing. And if you guys can remember, we talked about God revealing, redeeming, and rescuing throughout uh, Exodus. And so this story in particular is going to focus a lot on God revealing himself in a lot of different ways. 
So let's get started. Um, first, we see that Moses is in Midian. If you remember Meredith talking to us um, last week, she had kind of started the story. Here's this special baby that was rescued out of the Nile. And in an unusual circumstance, you know, the Pharaoh had 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 this edict that the, he was going to kill these babies. And, and he had uh, preserved Moses through the faith of his parents. And then the princess of Pharaoh rescues him out of the Nile. And if you can imagine, probably Moses is thinking, being raised in this palace for 40 years, that, you know what, there's maybe something a little special about me or unique. I mean, he's the only Hebrew that's being raised in the palace of the world power at this time, which is Egypt. And so when Moses gets a little bit older, God puts something on his heart. And I don't know what that was, but it was something inside of him that told him, you know what, Moses, this is not your people. Your people are these Hebrews that are being oppressed and that are slaves right now. And maybe he thought, I am supposed to be this promised deliverer. I don't know. But he asserts himself, and he ends up murdering a guy. And this obviously was not God's plan. And then the next day, he goes and he sees two Hebrews talking with each other, and they're arguing, and he tries to do conflict resolution. Obviously, he didn't have watermark back then because it did not work out so well for him. In fact, the Hebrews go, hey, Moses, you know what? Like, who made you ruler and judge over us? And so Moses, I'm sure, is thinking, okay, maybe I'm not the guy. You know, I thought maybe I was. I'm special. You know, I'm in, in, in here, but now I'm running from my life. So he's, he is absolutely running from his life through the desert to Midian. And Midian, the home of the Midianites, is in modern-day Saudi Arabia. Okay, and the Midianites are a people that are also offspring of Abraham. Now, they are not from the promised seed of Isaac, but they do have a familiarity with God. And you'll see that come into play later. And that actually works to help and encourage Moses as he deals with his father-in-law, Jethro, who is a priest of Midian. And so God has him here. He marries um, one of Jethro, uh, his daughter's. And so if, and, and then Jethro gives him a job as shepherd. And if your father-in-law gives you a job and a daughter, you're probably going to stay put for a little bit, right? And so here he was, 40 years in the desert as a shepherd. And he has a son. His, his, he names his son Gershom. And Gershom means a sojourner in a foreign land. And you guys need to know something. When people named their children, it meant something back then. And we're going to see this played out today in the story. Because when Moses named his son Gershom, basically what he was saying is, I know I'm not in the right place. I can feel it. And so we know where Moses is at right now. But he stays there. He stays in the comfort in the convenience of the land of Midian, probably thinking, yeah, you know, I, I, God can't use me now. It's been so long, right? Until one day, and he's, he's, in, he's doing his job. It was, it was an ordinary day, but then he ca- catches a glimpse of something. He catches a glimpse of a bush that's on fire. And you know what? I'm sure that Moses probably seen fire before. So we know that we know that this is probably a unique vision, a unique experience for him. And so Moses walks over to it. And he looks at it. But but let's talk about the fire for a second. Why 
Why the fire? What does fire represent? Because God doesn't do something randomly. We see this throughout the Bible. God always has a purpose for what he does. And God says he revealed himself in the flames of the fire. And the fire represents something that is refining, something that is sanctifying. And often it hurts. And so the, so the bush to them might have meant that this, the bush was the people of Israel and the fire was consuming, seemed like it was consuming them, but it wasn't. They were being oppressed, but God was in the midst of their oppression and they were not consumed. And when God comes in a physical way like that, it's called a theopony. Theo meaning God, pony meaning a manifestation in a physical way that we could sense it. And God does that throughout the Bible in different ways. Okay, so sometimes it's in the form of something like fire, and that seems to be the method of choice for Exodus, because we'll see later on that he comes as a pillar of fire. So maybe he was preparing for Mo- to, to Moses what he was going to come as later on. But also he comes as a person often. And the, the, the prime example of a theopony is the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Jesus Christ, who was the visible image of the invisible God, God in skin, Right? Because as people, we could not look upon God. And so he had to come in a different form. So this was God's presence. And no wonder, no wonder Moses had a hard time. You know, when he saw it, he knew it was something unique. And so he approaches this fire. And I don't want us to miss something because if you guys remember, Moses is the one that actually authored the book of Exodus. So when he put something in there, he, he meant it. There was a reason that he, he put it in there. And so he wanted us to see when he approached this fire that God then called out to him. You see, God waited to call out to Moses until Moses turned to him. And so often I think, I think, God, you know what? I I need you to come to me. I need you to reveal yourself to me. And all the while he's waiting, he's saying, Alicia, like, I am here. You have to turn towards me. And then I will call out to you. And so he calls to him. He says, Moses, Moses. And he says it two times. You know, when I, when I call out to my children and I, and I call out one time, they know they better listen. If I call out twice, they know I mean business, right? But here's another really cool thing. He wanted Moses to understand something. He wanted Moses to understand that he knew his name. So Moses, this has been 80 years. And I don't know how well Moses knew God at this point. I mean, he was raised in Egypt and now he was in Midian. He hadn't been amongst his people. But God was saying, I know your name, Moses. I know it. How cool is that? We have a personal God. And if you guys want to turn to the back of your, uh, or keep your finger in the back of your Bible study where it says the character qualities of God, you might be able to fill out a lot in this, in this chapter um, because God's going to reveal himself a lot. And the first way is in his personness that he knows Moses. And then Moses approaches the bush and God said, no, 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 no. You cannot go any farther. You must stop, Moses. Stop right there. And then he says something. He says, Moses, you must take off your sandals. Am I allowed to do this? Okay. So he takes off his sandals. And why would God ask Moses to take off his sandals? I mean, did he have something against shoes? I mean, if we're women, we're probably like, oh, please, no. 
you know? No, it had nothing to do with that. God was wanting to display something. He was wanting to show Moses his holiness. And that there is a gap there that you cannot transcend at this point. You see, everything that had happened in the Old Testament, and this is the beautiful thing, ladies. Like, I used to not like to study the Old Testament because I thought, oh, it's just old stories and it's not really applicable to me. But you guys, the more I, I study the Old Testament, and specifically Exodus, the more I see that it's this beautiful picture. And there's all these puzzle pieces that once put together, you see this beautiful image of who God is and who Jesus is. And always, constantly, it's pointing towards Christ. And so we see, even now, God is saying, there's a separation there. And you must take off your shoes. And why? Why was it? Well, in the ancient East, we know that when you take off your shoes, it's, it's, a, it's a point of, of um, reverence and humility before someone. But there's something else. The shoes added a layer of convenience and comfort. And when you remove that layer, Moses could feel his humanness. He could feel his vulnerability before God. It's sensitive. It's like, I need you. And God was trying to do something. He was trying to get Moses to understand that you need me, Moses. And that's the most important thing you can take away from this whole thing. He wanted him to fill the whip. But guess what? This is good news for us because God sent himself in the form of Jesus Christ to be that barrier, to cross that barrier of that width. You see, he couldn't do it on his own. Moses couldn't do it. But in the form of Jesus Christ, he came and his sacrifice on the cross with the shedding of his blood, he was able to form a bridge so that we could have direct access to his holiness. And so no longer is my sin a barrier. And this is the coolest thing, you guys. Like, when God looks at me, he no longer sees that I yelled at my kids. He no longer sees that I'm prideful and that I worry and that, that I have insecurities. He doesn't see when I mess up. He sees Jesus. Like, he looks at me, and he sees Jesus, and he looks at you guys, and he sees Jesus. And that is really good news, because at this point, Moses did not have the capability to do that. Jesus is now our holiness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we would become the righteousness of God. I love that. And I want to put up Isaiah 43 because I skipped over this, but I love, love, love this verse. And if you guys have anything that you want to camp on this week, I really encourage you to read Isaiah 43 because he takes these same themes and then Isaiah brings them out. And I just want to read this. Fear not for I have redeemed you. There's the word redeemed. I have called you by name. Remember Moses, Moses, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Ladies, you know what? He's saying, you're going to go through this stuff. You're going to have these fires. But guess what? He prefaces it with something. He goes, I know you're going to get anxious. I know you. I know you and your humanity. But guess what? You need to know this before I even take you through those fires 
and through those rivers that you are mine and I am with you. And he tells Moses the exact same thing. And we're going to see this. So then what happens? God has revealed his holiness. God has revealed his personness. And then he reveals to Moses who is speaking. He says, Moses, you may not know me. You may have heard of me. I am that covenant God that your father and your father's fathers and, and Abraham and Isaac have talked about. I am that guy. Just so, so we're clear. And guess what happens to Moses in that moment? He, he puts up his arm, his hand. He cannot look upon holy God. And this is not unusual for faithful men. If we remember Daniel, and this was after God had closed the lion's mouth for him, God had come to him, and guess what happened to Daniel? Daniel fell down, prostrate, face on the ground before holy God, and, and God had to lift him up and say, fear not. And then on the same mountain that Moses is at, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, Elijah was also there. And God had come to him, not in the wind and not in the earthquakes, but had come to him in the, in the um, quiet, still voice. And guess what happened? Elijah put his cloak over his face because he could not look upon God. And so the same thing happens with Moses. And I have to ask myself sometimes, do I have that kind of holy reverence before God? He deserves it. Sometimes I don't think we realize how majestic and glorious he is because if these men of faith have that reaction, he must be amazing. But here's the coolest thing. Right after that, what happens? God says, yes, I am mighty and I am holy. But guess what? I am intimate and loving because he then later in verse 7 on three, verse, or chapter 3, verse 7, he says, I see their affliction. I hear their cry. I know their sorrows. And then he calls them his people for the very first time. So he wanted, he wanted Moses to know something. Yes, I am awesome, but I am loving and kind and compassionate, and I can sense and feel you, and I've created you in my image. Those emotions, those person, personality traits, like I have that too. Isn't our God awesome? And then God reveals his plan to Moses. He says, okay, here's the deal. This is what you're going to do. You are going to go to Egypt, and you're going to get my people out. And then it's Moses' job to respond. So now we're going to Moses' reactions. What is Moses going to do? We have a rule in my house with my kids. You obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. And that doesn't happen very often, but that's what we try to say. And so Moses had an opportunity. He could obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. But Moses doesn't do that. And I'm sure if I were Moses, I probably would have done the same thing. He is hesitant. He's a hesitant leader. And this is good news for us because God is calling somebody that he knows is weak. And there's a reason for that. Moses says, listen, God, who am I? I'm a nobody. Why would you want to use me of all people? I mean, I would have thought, Moses, or I would have thought, God, that you would have called me when I was 40, right? In my prime. Why now? Why now when I'm 80? And we're talking 80, not in the, the years of Methuselah, right, where they live like 900 years and he was still pretty young. Like, no, they, they had a lifespan of about 100, 110 at this point. So he was past his prime. And what's God's reaction to this? Does God say, 
you know, Moses, I, you're still good. You're still good looking. And, you know, you still got biceps. I can tell you've been fighting off the wild beasts as a shepherd. You know, did he give him a pep talk? You can do it. I know you can. No, he says, Moses, what you need to know is that I am with you. Isaiah 43, right? I am with you. Because what we, what we need to understand is it had nothing to do with Moses. It had everything to do with God. It wasn't Moses' credentials. It was God's credentials. You see, we can never be fully equipped for what God's calling us to. And that's okay because God is. And he said the only thing you need to have is a proper God concept. It's like Todd said this Sunday. He's like, what you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And it's the only thing that really matters. And if God's going to call you to something, he will be enough. If he's in the midst, like he was in the midst of the fire, it's not who we are, but it's whose we are. It's not who we are, it's whose we are. It's not who I am, it's who God is. And that's what God wanted Moses to see. And Moses still didn't see it. He goes, but God, but, but I, I don't have enough knowledge. Can anybody relate to that? Like, sometimes I fear sharing my faith because I'm like, well, I need to know more verses. Right? I don't, I don't fully understand. I don't, I'm not going to say the right thing. I need to know more. You know, I need to know who you are, God, before I can go. And God in his graciousness said, okay, Moses, I'm going to tell you who I am. But before I give you my personal name, which is so awesome, he said, I want you to know what it means. Because that's the most important thing. Because you can have a lot of knowledge, but unless you know what it means, it really doesn't matter. And so he says, what my name means is I am who I am. Because our human minds can't fully grasp what, that, what God is. And basically what I am meant was that he is absolute, eternal, self-existent, standard of truth, standard of good, standard of beauty. He is above all things, before all things, behind all things. He is self-existent. He is everything. I am alpha. I am omega. I am beginning. I am the end. He is everything. And we see that consistently throughout scripture. Don't we have a good God? Yes. And guess what? Jesus even said he is I am. John 8, 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. See, this Exodus is beautiful, you guys. It is setting the stage for the rest of the Bible. And then he says, by the way, I'm going to tell you my personal name. And this is where it gets really, really cool to me. And he gives them four letters, as you can see up here. It's called the Tetragrammaton. I had to say that like ten times before I could get it right. Um, but it's basically four consonants, okay, and it's Hebrew consonants. And at that time, they, could, they did not write down vowels, okay? So they would say the vowels, but they wouldn't write it down. So we don't know exactly how, uh, how it was going to sound. We used to think it would sound something like Jehovah, but we've actually... Um, figured that kind of to be wrong, and it's more like Yahweh. Yahweh. He revealed his name. God's name is Yahweh. And that basically was interchangeable with the word I am. That's what it meant. And so then why do we not read that in our Bibles? 
Well, we do. When you're reading through your scriptures, you'll see the all caps LORD. And when you see that, that's the English rendering for Yahweh. You see, what happened is the Jewish scholars were so afraid of taking the Lord's name in vain, you know, when the Ten Commandments comes, and you will see that, that they didn't want to write it down, nor did they want to say it. And so then they started translating it as Adonai, Lord, Master. And then the English translators then took that on and said, we're going we're gonna to change it to Lord. So every single time that we see Lord in all caps, what it's referring to is Yahweh. And I really think it's kind of a shame because I like to know that my God is personal enough that he wanted to share his name. So why is it important to know the name of God? Like, why would God say, you need to know my name? This is going to equip you to do what I ask. And I love Psalms 910. This is the key verse, I think. It says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Yahweh, have never forsaken those who seek you. Here's the key, you guys. Knowing God's name, and not just knowing for knowledge's sake, not just knowing for informational sake, but knowing for, for revelation and for transformation will build trust. You know how God says the faith of a mustard seed, you will move mountains. You know those fires that you're going through? How are you going to get through them? He says, know my name. Know who I am. That's all you need. And I've provided that. In my next slide, I have all, not all the names of God, but I have a, a good list of the names of God. And I have uh, printed these out for you guys. I put them in my house as a reminder of who God is. And uh, I am encompasses all these things. As you can see, Master Lord Adonai, my shepherd, the Lord that heals Yahweh Rapha. And at the end, I have Abba Father, because guess what? I am is, is all-sufficient, mighty God, but he is also now our Father. In fact, Jesus said, when you pray, you pray like this, Abba, Father. Because now, because of Jesus, we have an intimate relationship with him. We can approach him, not in in fear like Moses did, but now because we know he's got his arms wide open, he's saying, come to me because you are my daughter. And I've adopted you if you have accepted my plan of salvation, if you have accepted my son as payment for your sins. And if you guys want a copy of these, I have 140 copies. You can grab one and feel free to frame it, put it in your Bible, whatever you want to do with that. Okay, one of my dear friends who's here this morning, Katie Moyer, um, she had a dog, a sweet dog that died recently. His name is Harley. And uh, Harley was really um, her husband's dog. I mean, he had been there for for Russ through a lot of difficult times when he wasn't really following closely to the Lord. And so Harley represented a lot of those things to him. Now, I cried with Katie when, when Harley died because I knew that was really hard to experience. But I didn't know Harley like they did. I didn't know the Harley that was playful with their kids. I didn't know the Harley that loved on them. I didn't know the Harley that, that sheltered them, that protected them, that was faithful to them. You see, God wants us to have that kind of relationship, not just one that knows him by name, but really understands who he is in that intimate kind of way. And so then what happens? God tells Moses, guess what? You're going to go back to Egypt and the elders are going to believe you. And he did that so that it would build Moses' faith because it was going to happen. 
And then he did something really cool. He said, by the way, the Egyptians are going to dispose upon you favorably, and you're going to get to go into their homes, and they're going to give you all their clothes and all their jewelry and their gold and silvers. And guess whose job that was going to be? Did you guys see this? It was the women's job. How cool is our God? Like, he didn't send the men to get the clothes. Oh, no. Yes. I mean, Nordstrom clearance blowout. I mean, how cool is our God? I mean, seriously, I had missed that. And then Moses still objects. He's still hesitant, you guys. He says, but they won't believe me, God. They're going to think I'm crazy, but in the wilderness way too long, you know, kind of dehydrated. Once again, it's all about him, right? It's me, 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 me. God says, okay. And he's, God's still gracious, you guys, here at this point. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you three signs to validate. And this is what he, when he performs miracles, it's usually because he's trying to validate something. He's like, here's your staff. I want you to throw it on the ground. And, it, and he didn't tell him what he was going to do beforehand because he wanted Moses to experience this like the people would experience it, okay? So he threw the staff on the ground and became a snake. And there's significance to that because the Pharaoh in his headdress, I don't think Meredith had this in her headdress, but it actually has a cobra meaning sovereignty, sovereignty and kingship. And so basically what God was trying to say is, I'm over this guy, Pharaoh, who's like the ruler of the world right now. And then he says, stick your hand in your cloak and it's going to come out. And it was leprous, right? And he, and he put it back in and it was healed. He's saying, I have power over healing. I have power over the state of diseases, over life. And then he says, by the way, when you get to the River Nile, you get some of that water and you pour it out, it's going to turn to blood. And if you remember what Meredith said last, last week, the Nile was a god to them. It was a source of life. So basically, he's shutting it down. He's saying, this is a preview of what's going to happen when these plagues come. And it's going to show my glory and my majesty. And do you think Moses agreed at this point? No, he's still like, I don't have the right gifts, God. Like, 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 I, 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 I can't speak. Like, God didn't know that. He's like, even now, you have not fixed this, God. Like, if you're going to, wouldn't you do it now? And God's like, who made your mouth, Moses? Who made it? Well, yeah, you have a point. You see, this is God's M.O. Like, he calls the weak. And it's okay. You know, Moses, at this point, he probably felt pretty weak because in Genesis it said the Egyptians thought of the role of a shepherd as the most detestable thing. So he has gone from ruler in Egypt to shepherd, and now he's thinking, I'm this obscure, murdering abomination, and you're asking me to accomplish your will, and I'm slow of speech. God, how are you going to do it? And, and in Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, you guys remember this verse, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses. Do you guys catch that? Because I hadn't caught that until I started looking at this verse even closer. I am content with my weaknesses. My girls know in my community, like, that's really a struggle for me. I, if I see a weakness, I want to work on that. I want to make it better. I want to make it stronger because somehow I believe that if I do that, then God can, he'll be more pleased and be able, be able to use me more. But he's like, no, I want you to be content in that because I made you exactly how I needed you. And remember what was going to qualify Moses was his 
understanding of who God was. And then Moses still objects. And he's run out of excuses at this time, you guys. And he's like, basically, I, you got to help. You got to bring someone to help me. What about my brother, Aaron? I was at uh, Target the other day with my son. And um, as you can see, he wanted to push the cart. This is Rogue, by the way. Um, he wanted to push the cart, and he can't see over the cart. So I said, buddy, I'll let you push it, but let me come around you. You can see my, my arms. Let me come around you so I can help guide you. And I took a picture of this. And he's like, no, you know, I want my brother, Rain, to come along on the side and help me. And I'm like, no, buddy, that's not going to work, because if he does that, he's going to pull that cart, and it's going to run into the displays. And And he's, like, not buying it. He's like, no, 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 no. I'll feel better if Rain's next to me. And I'm like, buddy, I've got you. I am right behind you. But he wasn't listening. And Moses is doing the same thing with Aaron. He's like, I want my my brother Aaron to help me. And God's like, no, you don't understand. Like, that's going to be a source of frustration and burden for you. And Aaron was later on, as we'll see. But God capitulates to him and allows him to have his brother. And, he, and he's, God's like, okay, I'm done. I'm done messing with you, Moses, but I'm still going to use you. He's still that gracious God. And so he returns to Egypt with the blessing of his father-in-law. And on the way, we have this kind of crazy story in the mix of it, right? I mean, here he is uh, on his way, and then God comes upon him and was going to kill him. And I wanted to leave this story out because, frankly, it didn't flow well with the story. You know what I realized? This is the most important part of the whole entire thing. And Moses put it there on purpose because what happened is with circumcision, if you guys aren't familiar with this, like for the people, that was their saying, I believe in your promises, God. I believe that you will be faithful to your covenant. covenant. And if I do not circumcise my son or myself, I'm basically saying it's okay for you to cut me off. So, so basically Moses was saying, it's okay for you to cut me off. And God had given him all this time and still on the way, God's like, okay, I can't hold off any longer. Because basically what he was saying is, I don't even have faith enough in your covenant to circumcise my own son. Do you guys see this? The, the problem with Moses and his reluctance was a faith problem. It was a trust problem. He didn't trust God to his word. And that's a big deal if he's going to lead his people. His covenant was the most important thing. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't quickly go over that story. And not to mention the beautiful picture of the blood covering and saving his life, which points again to the cross of Jesus Christ. So what now? What are our take-homes here? Our response. Number one, we are now not separated but have direct access to a perfect God through Christ. And I have a picture here of a daddy and the little girl running into his arms. And that's God saying, listen, I am mighty to save. I am awesome, spectacular, but I am your father. And number two, we have all sufficiency to do what God calls us to walk through, even if it's beyond us. Okay, so those fires you're going through, I don't know what that is that you feel is beyond you right now. You know, I I don't know if you're wrestling through a disease. I don't know if it's a marriage that you're struggling with, a disobedient or or a husband that's uh, not following the Lord or a child that's rebellious or, or you're hurting for your child or you want a child and you don't have one. I don't know what that is for you, ladies, but God says you will go through those fires, by the way. And, and he prefaces that. Remember in Isaiah 53 where he says, fear not because I love you and I am with you. And it's supposed to be beyond us. It's supposed to be. 
Number three, knowledge of God and his character strengthens our trust and faith. Knowledge of his name, dwelling on his name is what will strengthen us. And so my prayer sometimes is that God will translate my knowledge and your knowledge of who he is into active trust. You guys can come to these Bible studies all day long, and you can leave and six months later not remember a thing about what you learned. But if you know Christ more, if your, your affections are stirred towards him, that's what matters. And that's what our prayer is as a team for you guys that your affections for Christ will far outweigh this love affair that we have with the world, right? Because he deserves it. It's not about who we are. It's about who he is. And that starts with understanding who this God is that we serve and love. And I want to leave you with one last thing. Um, Our dear sister, Priscilla Schreier, you guys may know her. She had this soliloquy that I thought was absolutely incredible and worth sharing with you guys. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. This is our God. He always was, always is, always will be unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised but brought healing. He was pierced but eased pain. He was persecuted but brought freedom. He was dead and brings life. He is risen to bring power, and he reigns to bring peace. The world cannot understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him. And leaders, they can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. Nero couldn't crush him. The new age cannot replace him. You remind yourself that he is light. He is love. He is longevity. And he is Lord Yahweh. He is goodness and kindness and faithfulness. And he is God. He is holy and righteous and powerful and pure. His ways are right. His word eternal. His will unchanging. And his mind is on you. He's our savior, our guide, our peace, our joy, our comfort, our Lord, and he rules our lives. I serve him because his bond is love, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and his goal for us is abundant life. Do you guys believe that? I follow him because he's the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders, and his goal is a relationship with us. He'll never leave you, never forsake you, never mislead you, never forget you, never overlook you, and never cancel your appointment in his appointment book. When you fall, he'll lift you up. When you fail, he'll forgive you. When you're weak, he's strong. When you're lost, he's your way. When you're afraid, he's your courage. When you stumble, he will steady you. When you hurt, he's going to heal you. When you're broken, he will mend you. When you're blind, he will lead you. When you're hungry, he will feed you. When you face trials, he's with you. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he will comfort me. When I face loss, he'll provide for me. And when we face death, he will carry us all home to meet him. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way. He is your God. And that, sisters, is who you belong to. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, Abba, Yahweh, Lord, help us believe in our unbelief. Help us to know you, Lord. Sear these words on our hearts so that we, when we leave, Lord, we have joy 
that is beyond understanding, that we have peace that gets us through these fires, Lord, and that we can know that you are before us and with us and among us at all times, God. You are our God, and we praise you because you are high and lifted up, and you are the bright and morning star, but God, you are our Father, and you have paid such a price to have that relationship, Lord. Help us never to take that for granted, Lord. We love you, and we pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen.